Riding off the high of their new union, newlyweds decided to skip their honeymoon, opting instead to celebrate in secret at night. AAU season was in full swing, and Liam feared any time away could deter Jake's momentum. So the first couple of months, Virginia and Liam squeezed in time to be with each other the best they could while adhering to the team's hectic schedule. I remember thinking to myself, wow, I don't ever remember being this happy. This guy is something else. He's the one, the perfect husband. Things were going so well in Virginia's mind that she hardly took offense when Liam broke the news that Jake no longer wanted his mother to travel with the team for their out-of-state tournaments. I remember putting my head on my son's forehead, like, baby, are you sure? I was joking, but he, like, jumped away as soon as I touched him and goes, yeah, mom, I'm not a baby anymore. I don't need you to be at every game, or something to that effect. And before I could even respond, Liam sort of stepped in and said that he talked to him and would handle everything. Did he handle everything? Yes, he did it all. He not only read the college offers and responded to all the recruiters, but he worked one-on-one with Jake as well. Guy talk, he'd say. Liam coined these sessions as coaches in media training one-on-one. He has to be able to talk with the coaches and answer questions from the press without all the jitters and nerves, Liam would say. Sometimes Liam and Jake stayed at the gym long after the other players went home. The sessions sometimes went as late as two in the morning, even on school nights. He just shielded us from all the hoopla, and I just took care of everything back home. So it didn't bother me when Jake asked me to stay home more. All the parents told me how well they were doing, and I also kept up with some of the updates from my phone and whatnot. We even began discussing whether or not Jake should skip college altogether. The NBA coaches were starting to show interest. I remember explicitly telling Jake that no matter what happened, I wanted him to get his education still. And what did Jake say? He shrugged and blew me off. It was like he was becoming more distant. Like he didn't have much to say around the house anymore. He just went to school, played basketball, and locked himself away in his room when he was home. Liam blamed Jake's moody behavior on puberty and girls. I think he may have just broken up with his little girlfriend, he joked to Virginia. I was like, you know what? He's probably right. Jake's a star athlete and his facial hair was starting to grow in. (laughs) I'm sure the girls were putting him through the ringer and you know boys that age fall for the trap. One Friday evening, after being surprised with tickets to the Lion King for her birthday, Virginia walked into their Webster home to find her living room converted into a speed dating session. There were three to five tables arranged in rows. Sitting at each table were these different black women. I think something like six or seven in total, and they were all dressed professionally. I just thought, what in the world is going on? At first, Virginia just figured it was part two of her birthday celebration. The women, each in their mid-twenties, looked as if they were ripped directly from a 106 in Park music video or Ebony magazine spread. And here comes my husband with a big old grin on his face. And I'm like, uh, you got some explaining to do here, buddy. Next thing I know, I'm shaking hands with a lot of them and listening to stories about their lives. Carrie Neptune, a med student at the University of Rochester. Tanisha James, an accountant at J.P. Morgan Chase. Almisha Ambrosia, an HR recruiter for Tech Systems, amongst others. Their reason for being there... Liam's latest surprise for Virginia's birthday, featuring a vetted group of potential surrogate mothers by the way of the Just a Baby app. Nicknamed by some as the Order Me a Daddy app, 
It's been coined as Tinder for sperm and egg donors. I remember laughing, that's for damn sure. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. But Liam was more than serious. He worried that at her age, they'd need a donated egg to help them conceive. He asked her on the spot if she wanted to have a baby with him. I was just shocked and baffled. I mean, we never once talked about kids up to that point. I thought he was happy with the crew I already brought to the table. I know it was selfish of me to assume, but I figured balancing Jake plus the twins was enough. I guess I was wrong. Virginia went table to table, meeting the potential prospects at her husband's insistence. Liam joined, notating various highlights from their conversations. Virginia noticed the notebook Liam carried had questions for the couple to ask each guest. Questions like, what age were you when you lost your virginity? Do you believe in polygamy? Have you ever had a threesome? Do you believe in abortions? I was like, okay, now this has to be a joke. Am I unpunked or something? <laughs> but no, he got mad and told me I had to stop playing around. He whispered and said something to the effect of, we can't be too trusting. We have to vet each girl to make sure we find the right fit. And I said, okay. The two spent extra time on Carrie Neptune, the light-skinned bombshell who was also in med school. Virginia wondered if Liam knew her. But when asked later, Liam denied it. He then took things a step further by suggesting that Virginia's insecurities stemmed from being a darker-skinned black woman. He told her to open her mind and to stop acting like a granny set in her old-school ways. That night after the girls left, he pulled me in front of a mirror and was like, not only are you beyond pretty for a black girl, but you're also the hardest working woman I've ever known. I take you as you are, flaws and all. I didn't know whether to cry or to take his words as a compliment, but I did see that I was open to having a baby with him. I just wanted to slow our sprint down some, you know? It just always felt like we were racing towards something. But I was in love, and when you're in that deep, you'll do anything to keep your man. From Layer TV, this is the AAU Murders. I'm Banks McVally. Part 3, In Too Deep. To Virginia, the man she married was gentle, youthful in spirit, and the type of guy who loved surprising others. Liam Cambridge created an Instagram account to highlight his workout and basketball training videos. He called his page Be Elite, and his goal was twofold. He wanted to influence the next generation of top athletes through proven workouts while continuing to grow Jake's brand as his first Tier 1 athlete. His followers ballooned to over 200,000 over four short months. He threw on his favorite gray sweatpants and posted a mirror selfie to celebrate the accomplishment. Him and those selfies. He'd say, baby, this is going to make him jealous. And I'd laugh like, ah, uh-huh, whatever you say. We always laughed together. It was cute. Whenever he was in town, they'd catch the latest movie showings. Liam loved horror movies like Halloween and other slasher flicks. 
while Virginia preferred romantic comedies and the type of films that always had a happy ending. One time, we went to see the Friends with Benefits movie. You know, the one with the singer, Justin Timberlake, I believe. Well, we went to see that, and I swear he had tears in his eyes like a big old baby. I thought, man, if this guy can cry on demand like that, then maybe he needs to give up coaching and become an actor instead. He was that good. But the front Liam put up did little to dissuade Virginia's sister, Patty. Skeptical of Liam since day one, Patty had always been the type to question everyone and everything. Her need to challenge authority and prove herself right kept her in trouble with her teachers and inside the principal's office growing up. And now, her desire to come out on the right side of the truth gave her a new subject to focus on, Liam Cambridge, the imposter who was fooling her baby sister and nephew with a fake name and a fabricated basketball career. Once I confirmed that his ass was fraudulent, I knew it'd only be a matter of time before another bombshell came out of nowhere. See, the truth always finds its way to the surface. You better believe that. Despite their differences, both Patty and Uncle Marty began showing up to all Jake's local games just as they did in the past. They could tell their presence bothered Liam. We didn't pay that nut job any mind. I would never abandon my nephew just because he no longer played on my AAU team. I've been the one constant in that boy's life since he was born. I was just doing my part so that when Virginia finally came to her senses and left his ass, I'd be there to pick up the pieces. Shit. We family, and it's been clear to everyone that Liam Cambridge is nothing more than an intruder, and you can't trust sketchy guys. Though Patty helped convince Marty into coming back around, she chose not to inform him of the details she discovered about Liam's actual past. I kept those details to myself, because what would happen if the information didn't come out the right way? It'd be hell on earth, and with Jake in the middle of the season, the fallback would be more harmful than good. Plus, Marty would be the one in jail right now. You could bet that. But Patty's fear for her sister's safety ultimately trumped all worries for how everyone in the family would react to the news of Liam's lies. Patty decided to hire a private investigator to substantiate the information she gathered about Liam's past. Liam grew suspicious of Marty's and Patty's renewed interest in being back around and involved in Jake's life. After games, he'd come home and tell Virginia that Patty and Marty were out to get him. They never wanted you to find love. All they want is for you to stay miserable and lonely, he ranted one afternoon. But his biggest fear was that the two would somehow ruin his coaching career, thus stealing back his most prized possession, Jake. I just told him to get over it. Just because he didn't want me at the games didn't give him the right to tell my sister she couldn't go either. When Liam didn't get his way, he brought up the topic of having a child of their own. Please don't leave me, he begged before kissing her belly as if she were pregnant. There was love in her life again, and ever since she agreed to explore the options provided through surrogacy, the passion between her and Liam soared to new levels. She promised to talk with Patty, fearful she would lose her man if she chose the opposite. I truly believed my days of finding love were over. Dating sites didn't work, and even the guys I'd meet in person just didn't seem genuine. So here comes my knight in shining armor out of nowhere. I guess you could say he saved me. Life with Liam Cambridge was comfortable. He shoveled the driveway, cut the grass, and even helped Virginia around the house with minor home improvement projects. Once, he surprised her with ice cream after the two struggled to put together an Ikea dining table. He'd leave these cute little post-it notes all around the house. 
I was just happy to finally have a man around. But Virginia's job was hectic, and Jake and Liam were always on the road with the other players for AAU tournaments. Virginia began considering retirement so she could spend the rest of her days as a stay-at-home mom. I started to crave a different change of pace. You know, there were a bunch of new things, good things happening in my life, so I thought retiring could be the next ideal step. Once over dinner, Virginia brought up the topic of retirement. She believed they could live comfortably off her savings at first and then off her pension and 401k later on. Liam's eyes lit up. I just remember him saying something to the effect of, life with my baby is better than hitting the lottery, and I couldn't help but laugh. Liam didn't talk much about his past, but he liked to allude to his playboy days as a basketball phenom in the Turkish Airlines EuroLeague. Supposedly, he was a shooting guard for Olympia Milano, an Italian organization. Or was it Real Madrid? Virginia paid little mind to the actual specifics. The thought of seeing Liam in a uniform is what captured her imagination. Sometimes he discussed being a founding teacher of a charter school just outside of Newark. 100% of his scholars graduated, and every single student was now in college on a scholarship. Tell me a teacher who produces a success rate like that in an area as shitty as Newark, Virginia once heard Liam say to a stranger after too many shots of Patron. Once, after putting the kids to bed, Liam turned on Love and Basketball. After hailing the film a 90s classic, he asked Virginia her thoughts. Well, honestly, it was my very first time seeing the movie. But I thought the movie was enjoyable. And before I could even elaborate, he goes, Are you even black, girl? That's exactly how it is when you play ball and fall in love, girl. Is what he said next, right? Yeah. And then he goes, That's the type of love I'd kill for. That's exactly the type of love we got. So I said, oh, really? I mean, of course, I was just playing around. But then he goes, I would put a knife through anyone to protect what we have, even the neighbor's dog if I have to. I said, oh, my God. And I think I punched him in the arm or something. Was he joking? I don't think so. And then he goes, you want to see something funny? I think uh, I'd rather not, but... He goes ahead and pulls up these YouTube videos of some show called A Thousand Ways to Die. There's this lady who dies in her sleep from some condition called SUNS. Sudden unexpected nocturnal death syndrome. Well, basically, she dies in the show from a nightmare of a demonic dwarf strangling her. What was your response? I just told him I'd rather watch happy stuff. Then he asks me what demons am I hiding? In earlier sessions, you said he threatened you, asking, do I have to kill you in your sleep? Yeah, that too. Bryson Phenomeno is Virginia Collins' best friend, and he lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Despite his hectic schedule as the hairstylist for the women of the Real Housewives of Atlanta and love and hip-hop, he's a frequent visitor of Rochester, New York, a place he calls home. Here's Bryson. The 585 will always hold a special place in my heart. Plus, Virginia and Patty were the sisters I never knew I needed growing up. And Lord knows I needed guidance. Bryson and Virginia have always had an unbreakable bond one that first began during their days as neighbors on Warsaw Street off Hudson Avenue. Bryson's older brother Victor was Patty's age, 
and the two often spent their free time terrorizing their younger siblings. Boy, the two of them were nightmares, I tell you. I mean, Patty and Victor weren't all bad. Like, they looked after us too, but they definitely had their moments. <laughs> you know how it is when you're the baby of the family. You could have blown a feather on Virginia and me, and we would have been crying. Just dramatic for no reason. In 1973, when Bryson and Virginia were in grade school, a blue Cadillac DeVille sped down Warsaw Street and opened fire on a group of boys playing hit 'em up bust 'em up in the front lawn. Victor, Bryson's older brother, ran with the football in his hands while Virginia, Patty, and Bryson cheered nearby. Victor took a bullet to the chest and another to the side of the head. He was the only victim. And to this day, the case is still unsolved. We were super young, but there's no way you go through something like that and don't come out of it the other end a little bit traumatized. After Victor's death, Bryson's family became distant. And I was just there, lost, you know? It's so fucked up to think about now, but I remember praying that someone would take me out too. In an instant, I became an only child. But Virginia and Patty Pat Pat may have started just as neighbors, but after that moment, they became my sisters. Virginia has been there through everything. College roomies, failed marriages, bankruptcies, fighting the police, STDs, Lord, and even death. Just everything, no matter how messy. Most of the dirty behavior was on me, though. Bryson was also a sounding board for Virginia throughout the years. Bryson knew just how much Virginia hated raising her kids in a single-parent household. So he was delighted to hear she found love again, and this time it was real. Virginia sent me one of his photos. I just about screamed and threw my phone across the room. I said, baby, go ahead. Put every single one of the haters on notice. Show them what it looks like not to be miserable and salty all the damn time. Shit, and apparently he was a teacher and a coach who loved working with kids. I said, check, check, check. At that point, I was just confused about what she was waiting on. I told her ass, you better lock him up and throw away the key before he starts looking somewhere else. And you know what this bitch gonna do? She had the nerve to send a picture of a goddamn ring. Talking about, I'm two steps ahead of you. I hop my ass on the next flight. To Rochester? Of course. I was most certainly meeting the guy who put a ring on it. I could tell she was head over heels for this guy. That was pretty evident. Patty picked Bryson up from Rochester International. From the beginning, Patty had less than stellar things to say about Virginia's man. So I'm listening and I'm like, oh, he did what? Oh my God. They said what now? It was all way too much. So I said, hold up, wait one damn minute. Let me meet this guy for myself before you have me cutting this guy with my razor because Patty was telling me some crazy ass stories. And you know, I work with some crazy ass housewives. But what she was telling me, honey, it was on a different level. So I asked Patty, if he's this fucking crazy, why Virginia let him put a ring on it? I guess I said something I wasn't supposed to say because Patty almost crashed us into a damn curb. Here's Patty. 
I just remember saying, I'm a killer. And I told Bryson that his phenomenal ass better be lying. As Bryson settled into his hotel room, he got an invite from Virginia to come over for a few drinks. It was Bryson's first time meeting Liam in person. After a few drinks, this man turns into George Lucas or some shit and starts acting like a full-on storyteller. He's telling me about this brawl him and his teammates got into after a game in Lithuania. Then he's like, yeah, we spent the night in jail, but the guys we fought spent the night in the hospital. They just better thank God they ended up there, not in the 10 feet under. So I ask, what happened? Then this fool grabs the empty Jack Daniels bottle in front of us and motions like he's going to smash it over Virginia's head. I guess the look on my face caught him off guard because he starts laughing and kissing Virginia like, I'm just playing, baby. Everyone agreed that the jokes were more than off-putting. Bryson felt Liam was purposely trying to suck the air out of the room. And immediately after apologizing for the tacky jokes about using violence against Virginia, he goes, you guys are right. I'll save my swinging energy for Patty instead. The comment did more than just send a few chills up Bryson's body. Should he be worried? Bryson began rethinking the gossip Patty told him in the car. Could those horrible things all be true? Now I know Patty better than anyone, so I'm used to her dramatics. But when this motherfucker jokes about busting my sister up in the head, then I gotta step back and reevaluate whether or not homie screws are loose because the little voice in my head was telling me that Liam was batshit crazy. Bryson thought other things about Liam were off. Why did Liam have all these stories of winning championships in college in the EuroLeague and have no rings, no photos, and no trophies to show? This guy had nothing to share other than these far-fetched tales of glory. And even those didn't make sense when you started to think about it. So I go over to Patty's, and I'm talking to her and Marty about my experience. And the two of them are just quiet. Finally, I told them I was scared. And the only thing I wanted at that point was for my sister to leave that maniac. And for Patty to admit that the way that she did? I knew something was up because Patty not scared of nobody. Marty pulls out his piece and places it on his lap and goes, we ready if it ever comes to that. I didn't understand the overreaction at the time, but baby. That day, the private investigator called. He had updates that built on Patty's initial findings. I was like, give me the report. And I read it over from top to bottom. The report said Liam earned his teaching certification in Georgia and spent some time in the Atlanta Public School District. He had then quit his job under questionable circumstances after an investigation by the district concluded that there was misconduct with a superior. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we knew that already. Get to the good stuff. During the years where he claimed to have been playing basketball overseas, Liam Cambridge was linked to addresses in Baltimore, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Mississippi. He was incarcerated in Baltimore twice, and he still had a criminal case pending in both Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Oh, and he wasn't a teacher at Bishop Kearney High School in Rochester, New York. He was just a hallway and lunchroom monitor. Liam wasn't even certified to teach in the state of New York. So it became pretty clear that we were dealing with a pathological liar. I mean, right there on the report, it said the states he lived and the different schools where he worked. 
Then the investigator told us the dummy didn't even have a passport until a few months ago. As the lie started to unravel, Patty and Bryson wasted no time making calls to Liam's former employers. So I get his former principal on the line, a woman by the name of Cindy. She's from a middle school in Baltimore, and I convinced her to talk by telling her that my sister was in imminent danger, which wasn't even a lie. So she's like, oh my God. The next thing I know, she's singing like a baby, and she tells me how he had inappropriate text communications with a female student. When the girl's mother brought the messages to the attention of the school with even more allegations that the two were having sex in the classrooms during break periods, he quit. Not only did he leave, he ultimately moved from the state. And this was before they could investigate further. And the school just dropped it and sort of swept everything under the rug. They didn't want the media attention. When asked if they took away Liam's teaching license, Cindy became defensive referring Bryson to the school district's attorney. So I'm like, damn, was there even a case, let alone an investigation into this man? And if not, there needs to be some sort of database to keep wackos like Liam out of our children's schools. You know, something to keep them from getting these jobs. In fact, the federal government doesn't maintain a national database for sharing information about a teacher's misconduct. Often, even those bad apples who lose their teaching licenses could quickly get a new teaching job in another state. The private investigator came across something else that was suspicious. Every Sunday when Virginia and the kids went to church, Liam drove to 526 Brooks Avenue by the airport. The house had boarded windows and the PI suspected the property was either a trap house for drugs or a place for prostitution. He noted the frequency of what appeared to be minors going in but not coming out for hours. Bryson was officially scared. I said, okay, this fucker is going down, but we need a game plan before we do anything. I'm worried Virginia would go right to Liam with everything we said. He had a way of twisting information to create even more lies, and somehow Virginia fell for his bullshit every single time. I didn't want to play right into his hands. We had to get strategic on his ass. On Virginia's birthday, Liam bought two tickets to a live showing of The Lion King. Over the weeks, he overheard Virginia complaining about basketball consuming their lives. She wanted to try and do something new. I loved the show. I just thought, wow, he listens. I guess I was making him a better man slowly but surely. But her proud moment didn't last. They returned home and Virginia walked into her living room to discover part two of her birthday surprise. Six smiling ladies sat at tables scattered around the room. Liam put on his friendly face as he explained coming across each of the girls' profiles on the Just a Baby app. Still, Virginia didn't buy his story, especially when it came to Carrie Neptune, the med school student who looked like an America's Next Top Model contestant. Did Carrie and Liam have history with each other? Had he invited her and the others to play along? Was he cheating on her right in front of her face? Whatever the truth, Liam seized the opportunity to get Virginia to agree to have a baby with him via surrogate. And for the first time, she thought, who did I marry? Can I trust him? Oh, I was having second thoughts big time. You know, about the baby. But not just that, I was questioning everything. Virginia decided to install security cameras inside their Webster home, and she placed a tracker on his vehicle. She felt in her spirit that something was off. 
but she didn't have enough courage to confront Liam. I said, I owe it to myself to make sure nothing is going on with him and those hoes. Now, I wasn't 100% certain something was happening, but I damn sure refused to be a fool and sit around and let some guy play me out while he fucks around. One thing I'm not is a dummy. Virginia wasn't the only one fed up. Enough was enough to Bryson and Patty. They decided to stage an intervention. After all, Bryson had the information from the private investigator's report to back up his claims. Plus, Patty had enough horror stories about Liam's past in Atlanta to knock some sense into any sane person. Without a doubt, we knew Liam was not the person he claimed to be. On December 9th, just before 4 p.m., Bryson brought Virginia into a room filled with close family and friends. Everyone who mattered was present. Jake, the twins, her father Cliff, Patty, and even Cheryl drove into town to support her sister. I was mostly out of it, but I heard enough from both Bryson and Patty, you know, to feel concerned. I thought an intervention was the right course of action due to the overwhelming evidence that Liam was, you know, a complete mess. Bryson kicked off the intervention with the story of his brother's murder. He recalled how Virginia was there for him in his time of need. He pleaded for her to let them all be there for her. I was up front in the best way possible. I was just like, Liam Cambridge is not his real name. William never played in Europe. The bomb didn't even have a passport until you guys went on your cruise last year. The man is a fraud. Then Patty dug the knife deeper. What if I can prove this man ruins the lives of every woman he's been with, she asked. What if I can prove kids aren't safe around him? What if I can prove that multiple schools have opened investigations against this man because of inappropriate behavior? So the outcome of the intervention was, well, I do remember her crying. And Jake on more than one occasion tried speaking up, but every adult kind of talked over him. Eventually, Virginia sent the kids out of the room. She said they had no business hearing those horrible lies about their stepfather. And when she slipped up and said, stepfather, Lord. Virginia said the one thing Patty never thought she'd hear. Virginia started screaming, telling us all to shut the hell up. She basically spit in our faces and on all the evidence we presented to her. It felt like one of those fuck what all y'all say moments. She made it very clear that she was married and that she was not leaving his ass. And then... When I tell you I was speechless, I was like, damn, we officially lost this bitch. After Virginia kicked her family and friends out of the house, she did the unthinkable. Of course I called him. I told Liam to bring his ass home. When Liam arrived, Virginia threw the private investigator's binder into his chest, and she repeated every single accusation she heard from the intervention. I told him to tell the truth. I was like, just tell me now so that I can leave. Liam denied every single allegation, even coming up with rational excuses to some. For instance, he admitted to shortening his name, but he claimed he only did it to hide from his abusive adoptive parents. Liam told her horror stories about his childhood and the years of abuse he endured under their care. He had to break away, even leaving behind a mini fortune. But to him, it was all worth it. And changing his name seemed like the best solution at the time. I just thought, okay, well, that's understandable. 
And in regards to Patty's accusations about Dr. Cicely Jackson and her son Marcus, Liam claimed she was a crazed stalker with a drug problem. Liam went to Google and pulled up a less-than-flattering article to prove his point. The report highlighted the former principal and her downfall and how she turned her back on the Atlanta community she once served. Virginia had heard enough. She told Liam to get out and take the private investigator's report with him. I was just over it, over him and everyone. I wanted the files to disappear, and I never wanted to talk about or see whatever was in that file again. Liam agreed to give Virginia some space, but not before reminding her that Patty was against him since day one, without ever giving him a fair chance. He was just like, they win. Your sisters always saw me as an enemy, and now so do you. They never wanted you to be happy. They just wanted you caught up in the pointless drama, and now look at us. You hate me. You want me dead. And I just might do it. I might as well kill myself. And he started crying. To be honest, I was shocked because I didn't expect him to be vulnerable. He was always the opposite. Liam left the house, but it was Virginia who couldn't help but feel bad for him. His threats of suicide left an uncomfortable feeling in the back of her mind. I just sat there and felt bad for not even giving him the chance to explain himself. I kind of accused him and then told him to get out. There was no discussion, and that's not how you do things when you're married. Everyone deserves to have their side of the story heard. That night, Virginia got no sleep. She kept replaying the intervention over and over again in her head. Had she overreacted? Did she do the right thing kicking her husband out? I was a crying mess all night. I wanted to say I must have left over a hundred voicemails on Liam's phone begging him to come back. Did you want him back? I don't know. I guess I just wanted the truth. The next morning, Jake knocked on her door. She was crying all night. So I just wanted to check on her, you know, to make sure she was okay. But there was something else he wanted to discuss with his mother. I tried talking with her. I wanted to tell her that she didn't need him and that he wasn't the guy she thought he was. But you didn't tell her, did you? She was crying so much. I I just held her and she told me to give her time. She said she just needed time. Yeah, I told him that I was going to fix things and that I wanted him to keep his focus on basketball. I could have said so much more, but it's the only thing I knew how to say at that moment. There was a major AAU tournament that very next morning, and I made a promise to come. I also told her I didn't want to play for Liam anymore. Did she ask why? No. I could tell he didn't want to go, and I should have said, baby, just stay, and we'll figure things out together. But no one in our family quits anything. I told him, you shine bright in that tournament in North Carolina, but as soon as you get back home, you're going back to your uncle's team. And I just remember him shaking his head like, yes. But Virginia wasn't being 100% truthful with her son or herself. She had spoken with Liam. She told him that he could sleep on the couch at night after the kids were asleep. Liam promised to sneak out first thing every morning. I just figured it was the least I could do until we made proper arrangements. That same morning, Bryson booked a last-minute flight back to Atlanta for the following day. Things didn't go as planned, but he wanted to give Virginia space, hoping she'd see Liam for the manipulator he was. Bryson had faith his best friend would finally see the light. 
His phone went off just as he got the last of his belongings together. The notification, an email from an account he didn't recognize. The message in the email read, Bryson, I'm scared. I'm sorry for how things went the other night, but I just don't know what to do. Bryson figured Virginia was in trouble. So he replied, you need to get the hell out of there. Grab the kids and I'll come get you right now. Virginia's response, I can't. He has my phone and he's reading everything. Bryson, where the hell are you now? Virginia, 3557 Lake Avenue. Bryson went to Google and discovered that the address belonged to the Rochester Public Library. He wrote back, stay there. I'm on my way now. Virginia, no, don't come right now. I have to get back before he gets suspicious. He leaves early tomorrow with the boys to North Carolina. Bryson, girl, I'm calling the cops. Virginia, no, I have a plan. Meet me here tonight at 10 p.m. in the back. Please don't tell anyone, not even Patty. She's number one on his list. Here's Bryson. And after I read that last part about Patty being number one on his list, I called the cops immediately. I don't play those games. I told them to watch over Patty Taylor's house because some man named Liam Cambridge was out to get her. I said, Patty is in danger. Do your damn job. And I hung up. Bryson spent the rest of the day freaking out about not knowing what to do. He was a big guy, but he was far from a fighter. What was I going to do? Throw a makeup brush at him? On his way to the public library, he decided to make a quick stop at Walmart. There, he purchased pepper spray. I was sweating bullets for sure because not only was her email vague, but that shit was borderline frightening. The email said 10 p.m. at the library in the back, but there was no way I was even about to trust that shit. So I parked across the street and waited inside of this food joint called Hots and Plates. I want to say I got there around 9-ish. 11 p.m. came and went. Still no word from Virginia's burner email. Hots and Plates hours were 24-7. But around midnight, Bryson took a chance and sent a message to the email account. Where are you and are you okay? I think I asked. He made his way back to his car when the notification sound on his phone chirped. Virginia's response. I'm here in the back. I just had to make sure no one was following me. But I see you. You're wearing a yellow jacket. So I'm like, bitch, where? And I'm looking, and then I see someone off in the distance waving what seemed to me at the time a cell phone or a flashlight. So I turn on my car and I leave it running in front of hots and plates. I'm thinking, let me just grab her real quick and then we'll just beeline straight to the police station because I can't. And all this drama was just too much for my nerves. Bryson followed the light towards the back of the building. And I'm like, girl, we don't need to be doing all of this. And you're going in the wrong direction because the car is that way. And no sooner than Bryson gets to the middle of the empty parking lot, the light he's following goes out. So I'm like, oh, hell no. I'm reaching for my phone, but then I realize I left it back in the car. It's dark, and the lot is empty minus one car parked towards the back near a patch of trees. Through the darkness, he makes out Virginia. She's standing next to the car, and she's crying. At this point, I'm like, Virginia, stop fucking crying and let's get the hell up out of here. I got my mace in one hand and a razor tucked under my tongue, just in case. Bryson also checks over his shoulder. The lot is still empty, so he runs towards the car and grabs Virginia's shoulder. Only it's... Not no damn Virginia. 
According to Bryson, it was actually a mannequin, except this one had a pig's mask covering its face, and duct taped to the mannequin's chest was a voice recorder. Playing on repeat was the sound of Virginia crying. I'm screaming, spraying the fuck out of this mannequin with my mace. All of a sudden, I see something coming from out behind the trees, and I take off. I'm screaming, help! This motherfucker is trying to kill me! And my fat ass is running when I do the unthinkable. I fall, tripping over God knows what, and I'm rolling. He gets on top of me, and his arm is just coming down into my body. I'm trying my best to block and fight back, but I don't know. Everything just goes black. Nearby, Miller DeLone and Jones Pena were finishing up a night of drinking and partying when they heard the sound of screaming coming from behind the library. Here's Miller. I mean, initially, I just thought some kids were, you know, playing around, being assholes. And so Jones and I walked to the back of the parking lot, and that's when we saw him. Blood was everywhere. There were seven stab wounds in various locations around Bryson's body. Jones ran for help, and Miller called 911. Rochester 911. There's a man here. He, he's bleeding and he's unconscious. Uh, what's your location? It was just past 11 that Saturday morning when Virginia woke up to 21 missed calls. A few from Marty, with the majority coming from Patty. I just remember having a sick feeling come over me. Virginia called her sister and the news she heard made her drop her phone. Patty's crying, and she's like, someone stabbed Bryson. The news brought Virginia back to the moment when they were just kids, when Bryson's brother Victor was shot and killed in a random drive-by. I dropped everything and drove over to Rochester General. And when I get there, I see my best friend, and he's connected to these machines. Bryson was on life support after losing just under 30% of his body's blood supply. He fell into a coma shortly after arriving at the hospital. Patty's talking to the police just outside the door to Bryson's room, and I hear her screaming, he did it. I know he did it. I step outside to see what's going on, and she shoves her finger into my chest. I told her to tell us where her husband was hiding. Virginia fell in disbelief. The tears just wouldn't stop. The cops are trying to get a statement from me, and I keep telling them that I wasn't there, so I have no clue what happened. But Patty's pointing at me still, like... But I bet her boyfriend does. I told the cops to interrogate Liam because in my heart, I knew he was the one behind the attack. Shit, I was telling them to interrogate my damn sister at that point. They're asking me if I knew about the tip Bryson made to the cops to monitor Patty's house after a threat made by Liam. And of course, I had no idea. As Virginia pleads with the cops to clear her and Liam's name, she can't stop thinking about her son, Jake, who was currently in a van headed to North Carolina with a man they're accusing of attempted murder. I called my son, but I keep getting sent to voicemail. I try Liam, and I'm getting the same thing. But then she remembers, in her purse. She has the basketball schedule for the weekend's AAU tournament in North Carolina. I'm like, there's no possible way Liam could have been involved, because him and Jake were in North Carolina and about to play in a tournament right at that very moment. Virginia hands the tournament schedule to the officers, and they scribble something in their pads and walk away. So I think they must have ruled William out. I turned to my sister, and to this day, I will always remember what Patty said to me. 
She goes, so you're finally calling the imposter by his real name? Go figure. What happened to Liam? Or is the dick that good that it got you forgetting what matters? I mean, for God's sake, are you that dumb of a bitch? I was just over my sister at that point. It's like your best friend, no, your brother is in there dying and you over here pulling out pamphlets to try to cover for the psychopath? What the fuck, bitch? Well, it was clear to me that my presence was no longer wanted. I just grabbed my coat and the twins and went to the parking garage. Virginia was at a loss for words. So I'm sitting there and I'm praying Patty's just making up her accusations about Liam. On the other hand, I keep asking myself, why would anyone attack Bryson? He didn't deserve something like that to happen. Never in a million years. But there's something Virginia couldn't seem to shake. Why did Bryson tell the police to watch Patty's house? And what was he doing behind the library in the middle of the night in the first place? Then it hit her. She had just installed security cameras at their Webster home. So if Liam were the one behind Bryson's attack, then she'd see him leaving the house. Not to mention the tracker she had installed on the family's car to make sure he wasn't cheating on her. I was slapping myself because I forgot I had the tracker and the camera set up. She had never checked either before. But she knew this would be the only way to confirm Liam's whereabouts before he took off with the team on the drive to North Carolina. So I log onto my phone and open up the SpySat tracker app, and I can see the car's current GPS location, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. So I begin working my way back through the results of Liam's location history, and there's this gap where the app says there are no results. So I'm like, okay, that's not possible. Something's a little fishy. From 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the night of Bryson's attack, the GPS tracker had Liam's Lexus at Cinemark Tinseltown Movie Theater. The history goes blank for hours until 7 a.m. the next morning, when Liam and the boys leave their Webster home and begin traveling city by city on its way to North Carolina. So I log into the camera security system and begin scrolling back. I can see Liam and the boys packing up the car with basketballs, and that was normal to me. I then go back to around midnight... And the only car I see in the driveway is my car. Was Liam supposed to be there? Most certainly. We spoke through text right before I put the boys to bed, and that had to be around 10 p.m., and I went to sleep shortly after. But since they were road tripping across the country, he promised to get a good night's rest. Granted, on the couch, but his car not being there rose my suspicions for sure. Virginia and I are reviewing the footage from that night. At the timestamp of 3.45 a.m. on the black and white footage, you can see headlights pull into the driveway. For about 15 minutes, nothing happens, and the car just runs. It's dark, so you can barely make him out at first. But right here, he steps out of the vehicle, and as he walks towards the front steps, the motion detectors turn on the lights. My initial reaction seeing him was, oh my god. What Virginia describes next in the footage from the security cameras would best be described as something pulled directly from a scene in a horror movie. He's standing there, completely naked, with a pig's mask covering his face. He's holding a bloody knife in one hand, and in the other, he has the car tracker. Unmoving for five minutes, eventually he waves, taunting the camera as if he's known all along about Virginia's plan to track his movements. I see the knife scraping against the walls as he dances down the hallways. The sick fuck thought he was in the middle of a performance. The first stop on his tour was Virginia's room. Here, Liam gets the audience he was craving when both twins awaken in the middle of the night and get out of bed. 
and he puts the knife to Joseph's throat. Then he hands the knife to Jessica and motions for her to stab her brother. Virginia watches in horror from her phone. I reach in the back seat and I'm checking the twins for cuts, scratches, anything. What happens next? He goes to Jake's room and the sicko starts masturbating in the doorway while my son sleeps. Remember, Virginia's house is filled with sleeping players and friends of Jake's who also play on the AAU team. When questioned later, no one recalls anything ever happening that night. But at that point, Virginia turned off her phone. I had enough. It was like I was seeing clearly for the first time in years. I mean, the evidence was right there, in my face. I knew I needed to get rid of this guy from my life ASAP. So, I did the only thing I could think of at that moment. Virginia opened the glove compartment and looked at the Glock 19 9mm compact semi-automatic pistol Marty placed there years ago for emergencies. I set the GPS for North Carolina, and I told the twins, we're going on a road trip. Mommy's got a fuckboy to kill. On the next episode of the AAU Murders... He told me we were similar in more ways than one, because we both had that killer instinct. He asked me where I got it from, and I told him, Allen Iverson or Carmelo Anthony, I guess. I always loved the fire and how they played the game and the competitive nature. And he sat there with a smile on his face, waiting for me to ask him the same question. But I already knew the answer. Murders was created by Corey Deshawn. Sound design and editing for this episode were done by the talented folks over at Resonate Recordings. Numerous voices lent their time and talents to make the AAU murders a possibility. Many thanks to Preston Scott as our narrator, Banks McVally, Ashley Robinson as Virginia Collins, Vivia Armstrong as Patty Taylor, Kennedy Porter as Jake Collins, Irving Green as Bryson Phenomenal, Corey Wooten as Miller DeLone, Greg Mays as Marty Taylor, and Marcus Anthony as Cliff Collins. Without you all, none of this would have been possible. And last but not least, thank you to the Day Ones, our listeners. If you want to reach out to us about this work, please feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook at AAU Murders, or check us out at www.aumurders.com. <laughs>